0: Welcome to the Modern
1: Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode 10 of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. Today, I am joined by John Whipfley and Jamie Carlson. Jamie, you are probably familiar with as he is a regular contributor on Modern Carnivore. And if you haven't checked out a couple of his recent recipes, I highly recommend it. One of them is a nettle pasta. And if you think about stinging nettles, they're generally something that you want to avoid When you're in the outdoors, because obviously they can create a sting irritation uh, to your skin. But Jamie shares with everyone a recipe for turning these wild weeds into this beautiful green pasta, which I think is pretty fascinating. Another recipe he recently did was a venison heart tartare. If you have not eaten heart from a large ungulate like a like a deer you're missing out uh the tartar recipe is is essentially a way to prepare it raw and uh i've had heart with jamie before and i know he knows how to prepare it very well and so i think you would find that recipe fascinating so i'm also joined today by john whitley John is a new guest on the Modern Carnivore podcast. John and I got to know each other several years ago when he was an executive chef developing menus for a major barbecue chain, and I knew at that time, given his background, that he was going to do a lot of amazing things. He was just getting ready to finish up a wild game cookbook called Venison, which we have talked about uh, on Modern Carnivore before, and he has a forthcoming cookbook here in the summer of 2019, early summer, that is called Fish, and it is a comprehensive freshwater uh, fish cookbook, and we talk about that today. John's got a really great background. He is a graduate of the French Culinary Institute in New York. He launched uh, a few years ago the Minnesota Spoon, which was a way to share barbecue in the north, and his regular gig now is he created... A, a food truck called Animalis Barbecue, which is in North Minneapolis, where it sits outside of Abel Seed House, which is a phenomenal brewery uh, in, the, uh, in the North Loop area of Minneapolis. So if you are in the area, please go check it out. Check out the food truck. Check out Abel Seed House. And most importantly, check out John's Fish Cookbook when it comes out here in the next few weeks enjoy the podcast okay we are at Abel Seed House in North Loop area of Minneapolis I am joined today by a couple guys here why don't you introduce
0: yourselves I am John Whipfley uh, owner of animal barbecue company which is right outside Abel Brewing four days a week and I also wrote the venison cookbook that's sitting next to you, and I have an upcoming uh, fish cookbook that releases on May 15th.
1: There you go. We're done with the podcast.
0: There you go. (laughs) Let's (laughs) drink some beer.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. We do have good beer sitting in front of us. Yes, we do.
2: How about you? I'm Jamie Carlson. I'm a contributor to Modern Carnivore, and here to provide entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) As always. So... um,
1: a little bit noisy here in the in the brewery, but these guys were kind enough to let us come in here uh, on the day when it is closed. And as you mentioned, John, we are sitting about 20 yards from your food truck. And, uh, you know, why don't you just, let's start with that. Explain a little bit about, about the food truck.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, planning for this food truck went back probably a year and a half now, um, more than that actually and uh we finally got it launched last august uh end of summer so we missed the busy season we just went through our first winter i think we closed only for two or three days throughout that terrible winter we just had so it was a long uh long winter to be working in a food truck and
1: i do do notice you're you're in flip-flops today yeah man and we're supposed to get 15 inches of snow on thursday that's stupid (laughs) (laughs) i can't I'm
0: i'm over it um yeah, so so we finally got the barbecue food truck up and running. Uh, we just smoke fresh meats four days a week, serve them right over the smoker kind of deal, and we smoke meat until we run out, and that's just that's how it works.
1: And we, we are, we are uh, the reason you're grunting is uh, we do have somebody else here with us today, and, and who is that?
0: That is my uh, wine runner, Hank, who's usually fairly well-behaved, <laughs> but the moment you stop paying attention to him, he does stuff like this. He's a big boy. He is a big boy.
1: So, um,
0: I have had your barbecue
1: before, but before you had this truck, and yep. so I'm looking forward to trying it out. You got some some crazy uh, uh, items on the menu there that look really good, and I know your tagline on your Instagram account is uh, "Stretchy Pants Recommended," which I yeah. like. I like that. <laughs> um, You got, what, the meat tornado? Is that uh, that one of your uh, your items?
0: Yeah, that's a a a one-day-a-week item, so that's a Sunday-only item. And that thing, I mean, just honestly, it just started as a joke. And um, we basically, so the way that came up is we take our ribs. Our ribs have 12 bones in them. We take the last two bones off of each rib, smoke those, and then take the meat off of it. And then we turn that meat into a sandwich because it eats better after it's picked. Um, and instead of trying to eat it off the bone, where it can get kind of fatty down there. And, um, so we, we were trying to figure out a way to use, uh, that meat, that was still a quality way to use it. And then I was watching, uh, Parks and Rec one night and Ron Swanson has a meat tornado line and we just decided to run it. And then people like recognize a reference and then Instagram caught onto it and, we haven't been able to not run it since then so sundays start selling it at noon we do about 40 a week and once they're gone they're gone so how often are you selling out of uh of product uh summer months we sell out pretty much every day we open right now uh we sell out of our smoked meats the way we do is, do it is we load the smoker up we fill it with pork belly ribs um and sausage and for example we'll load it once on a saturday at seven thirty in the morning and then once at noon and we'll sell out the first round by 4.30, and then we pull out the second round and usually sell it out by 8. But then there's some other items like tacos and bowls you can get later on into the evening. Cool, cool. So, um, you know, the the main
1: purpose of our conversation today is to talk about your forthcoming cookbook uh, called Fish, correct? Yep, you got it. But uh, let's, let's step back a little bit first and, and talk a little bit about you and your background. Because we've talked about having you on the podcast for a long time. Yeah,
0: a while now. <laughs> and
1: uh, I, was, I mean, it was back before venison when, we when we first started talking about some different things. Um, but uh, when, did, when did you start hunting and, and fishing? Did you grow up with it? Did, did you learn it later on?
0: yeah so uh my family i grew up in a hunting and kind of an outdoors family um and so i was always around it uh when i was a kid and it was a part of just our daily you know i grew up in the middle of wisconsin so i that's that's nothing uncommon um it was just a part of the day-to-day sort of operation and then i took part in it to a small degree when i was younger and through high school and then when I left Wausau, Wisconsin to move on to go cook, I really didn't take part in hunting um, In kind of for like a 10-year span. I was more focused on other outdoor activities, camping, biking, hiking, snowboarding, all that stuff. Um, and then when I moved back to the Midwest when I was, I guess I would have been 26 or 27, um, it just naturally fell into place as a thing to do in the outdoors. I have a huge circle of friends who hunt, fish, fish. Um, And it's just the best, you know, it's just the best activity you can do in the Midwest in this region. So when I moved back here, immediately started uh, just participating in those activities again. Um, And then it just kind of fell in line with cooking. Um, Obviously, as a byproduct of hunting, you end up with some meat occasionally, um, if you're lucky. And uh, yeah, now we're here.
1: Very cool. So when you were uh, growing up in Wisconsin, uh, did you deer hunt?
0: Uh, I didn't deer hunt until my 20s. It was, I always, well, I I would go to deer camp and, you know, hang out with the guys and drink beer. Um, But it was mainly uh, birds and fishing.
1: Okay, okay, cool.
0: When you were younger,
2: uh, the venison, the game,
0: whatever you had, was it any good? You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's hard to say. Yeah, I uh, know. <laughs> but one thing I do remember is eating uh, eating a lot of lead, and okay. I didn't like that experience. Yeah, I don't know.
1: I think it's I think it's uh, it's a good ingredient. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little,
0: a little toothy. Growing up,
2: I'm actually surprised that I've actually enjoyed wild game anymore because. Any deer that was shot was turned into summer sausage. Yeah. Uh, All of it. Uh, There was nothing left over. Yeah. Uh, And anything else that was shot was cooked until it died a second death. And the ducks that we'd get, the geese that we'd get, were dry and stringy. And at that age, you know, it'd take a glass of milk to get each bite down. Yep. So... Nice. I was just curious if other people had similar experiences here in the Midwest. I think you know. I think there was a lot of crock
0: pots involved. Yes, <laughs> and then cream of mushroom soup. Yes. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of my memory of it. Okay. It, it definitely wasn't an elevated experience. You um, know,
1: you know, for me it was. It, it was the uh, probably the worst preparation for for a game uh, when I was a kid was was ducks where my, my grandmother's recipe that my dad would always follow was roasting them. I mean, we always plucked our ducks. We never would never skin our ducks. Always, always plucked them, no matter how small, little teal to large mallards. Um and then in an attempt to keep them moist, you know, you put two bacon strips across the top, you know, cross, crosser which did no good, really, in the end. I mean, I think it was, you know, you'd, you'd bake it for, oh, my gosh, I don't even know, hour and a half or, or whatever it would be. But you had to
2: eat two pieces of bacon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. well, Actually, they were never cooked that well. So, you know, and they would just get so dried out like that. I, I still remember when I was in my early 20s. First time I, I I read a recipe on super high heat baking just just with, with the duck and just serving it rare and going oh my gosh why haven't I been doing this my whole life
2: you know yeah no I I don't know if you've had similar experiences but the first time that I took venison and cooked it rare and ate it I was like. Wait a minute! A yeah. <laughs> you can do this. Wait, wait a minute! Um, what happened to the hockey puck that I've been eating my entire life? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So, um, John, when did you when did you start cooking? I mean, did you as as when you were younger, and 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 not not like currently, but like going way back to the start of it? I mean, did you, and not even thinking about wild game, but did you? Um, did you start cooking at a young age, just regular meals, and/or, or, or was it later on again?
0: Yeah, so um, I remember being a kid and trying to cook, uh, just trying to cook new things with my family. Like, I remember I would cook my brother mac and cheese out of a box, and I'd always try and make it better, which, you know, that's what we had in the pantry, so that's what I would do, and then I remember trying to make mashed potatoes for the first time for our Thanksgivings, and then... Um, and so that I mean I just kind of had it like intuitively and and then uh when I left high school I started working in the kitchen immediately and I was also in art school um and I wasn't very good at art school but I excelled in the kitchen so uh just ran ran with it from there just different ingredients still art yeah I mean it's kind of the same yeah you kind of play with ingredients and I don't know there's a little more craft. well maybe not a little more craft. there's a a faster end result to it and um, a better end result I mean I uh, like looking at yeah. a piece of artwork <laughs> yeah. on the wall but I'd much rather eat it yeah that, eat that's heart. what I'm looking for <laughs> so that, that was kind of I mean I started when I was a kid uh, growing up in central Wisconsin you know kind of we didn't have a lot of uh, diverse food options we did, did we, you put a lot of cheese on your food I think there was cheese in just about everything <laughs> there's a cheese in a pork chop somewhere in every meal <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Way, way to play <laughs> to the
2: stereotype, Mark.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with cheese, man. I love cheese. <laughs>
1: um, so, I mean, but you were, you know, fast forward, I guess, you actually went to formal training for chefery, if you will, at the uh, French Culinary Institute of New York, correct?
0: Yeah, that was a, that was a pretty good experience. Uh, lived in New York for a couple years, two, three years, and... Uh, went to the French culinary institute which is a pretty fun experience our Dean was jacques pepin which is oh, which wow. was cool to be able to meet him a couple of times and he taught us how to make omelets um, in like a big class one day which is which seems minor but it's a pretty a pretty cool thing mm-hmm. um, and then just the just the level of food production out there is it's unreal um, there's so many I mean there's tens of thousands of restaurants all in this little tiny area so if you're not performing at a very high level you're just you're gonna go under um so uh it was a it was a pretty good experience just to learn how to execute at a high level um but that being said two and a half three years there was kind of my max i was maxed out and want yeah. wanted to get back to the midwest and green manhattan or where were you at or? so i worked in manhattan and uh my school was in soho so it was right i mean it was right in the middle of everything um And then we lived in Brooklyn right across the bridge. Uh, But it's all, I mean, it's all super dense. I mean, obviously, it's just, it's incredibly dense in the middle of Manhattan or if you cross a bridge into Brooklyn. I mean, either way, it's, there's not a lot of green space. There's not, um, there's not an easy route out of town. Um, Were you able to do any outdoor stuff, any hunting, fishing out there? No, we did, you know... My life was fairly consumed with um, cooking, obviously, and learning learning that craft and that trade. Uh, but we did make it upstate once or twice when when there was a week off, and that was about it. But no hunting or fishing, just hiking around, <coughs> bebopping that okay. sort of thing. So I think we should. Uh, I think we should do a,
1: a cooking event out in New York. You know, uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, which we're all part of and connected to, um, has been doing some events. Um, out uh, out in New York and Manhattan as of late, it'd be fun to fun yeah. to go out there. Todd <laughs> Waldron, who's uh, become a good friend, he's out upstate New York. But oh, great! Uh, they're doing a lot of, a lot of fun things out there, which is pretty cool for people living in this city, but being able to realize not too far away is some great opportunities to hunt and fish.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you get outside of New York and you go to upstate, and it's not too far away, removed from what you see in uh minnesota or wisconsin it's similar terrain similar landscape and it's a beautiful country they've yeah. really been pushing the deer hunting
2: out there too have they uh, apparently they're just overrun with deer hmm. uh, but it's also a very dense lyme disease area yeah. so they've been pushing the deer hunting out there trying to get people to Do come out those ticks. might be a good and spot to go
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <okay. laughs>
2: yeah next broadcast yeah
1: so um, you came back to Minnesota. Uh, you got your degree. Now um, you worked at Bachelor Farmer,
0: right? Yeah, helped open that that little space. Uh, awesome restaurant. I don't know if you've been there, but they do some great food. Uh, they still, I mean, they still have a high standard that they execute to uh, perfectly. So that was another good experience. Um, I got to work with Paul Berglund, who's just like this crazy. I mean, the way his brain and food work, it's just pretty, pretty great to watch, uh, learned a ton from that guy, and just learned how to, uh, you know, kind of operate in a kitchen that was, for lack of a better term, just booming at the, booming at the time. We opened up, and then, you know, within a year, we were on the cover of New York Times magazine, and everything just exploded. So trying to keep up with that curve while still, like, being innovative and doing new stuff was, it's just a huge learning Learning experience for me. Hank, um,
1: Hank, why don't you climb into his lap? <laughs> this guy thinks he's a he thinks he's a little <laughs> lap tiny puppy. Dog, little <laughs> <lap> dog, exactly. <laughs> so, um, what kind of what kind of food did you have on the menu at Bachelor Farmer when you were there?
0: So that was all Nordic food, um, or it was Nordic esque <laughs> But you know, the real way we looked at it was like if someone uh, from that region lived in Minneapolis, what would they cook? Uh so we we would just take fresh ingredients that were locally raised, locally sourced, uh locally grown, and then then apply um like there's left leg here Then apply, you know, techniques from that region to those foods. Uh so like Gravlax was, you know, a huge one. Everyone loves that in Minnesota and I mean that's I mean that, that actually actually Bachelor Farmer recipe or a similar one to it is in the, the new cookbook. Um and just, yeah, that's that was our approach to food, and it, it worked really well for us. And I think we hit it at, at a time when that wasn't as popular as it is right now. Like, you know, you go yeah. back 10, well, I guess 8 years, and that kind of new American style of cooking wasn't as forward or wasn't as prevalent as it is right now. Now yeah. there's a ton of restaurants that do it, you know. So yeah. <clears throat> one thing
2: I ate at the Bachelor Farmer years ago sort of plays into what we're doing here. It was uh, duck fat roasted beets yeah, with the grated botarga. Yeah. Is there a freshwater version of botarga that would be possible? Um, probably.
0: Probably. I, I, <laughs> off the top of my head, you know, that's a question I haven't really been asked. You know, um, maybe the herring or yeah. something like that, would that be possible? We used to do a cured cured her- her- herring row there mm-hmm. um, I don't remember the result of it uh, but I remember we were experimenting with it for for a while um, but I don't remember what we ended up doing with it mm. um,
1: okay yeah, as I was saying um, so venison is a cookbook your first cookbook right yep so this is a year two years ago yeah it's probably about two years ago now yeah time flies i guess so uh talk a little bit about it because there is there's one recipe in here is all i've been Well, i think i've tried more but the first one the venison neck split pea soup that is the one i have marked as you can see with my little uh tag here on page 84 yeah and I just I, that was the one that stood out to me when when uh, when he first came out with it. I'm like that that is that's that's the recipe I want to be doing first.
0: Yeah, that that recipe. I mean, it's it's pretty simple, and it's just you're basically just you know making a uh, making a, you're flavoring a soup by simmering a venison neck for a really long time. And you could do that with a couple a couple parts. I think a shoulder would work well, um, or anything in this one you know we were trying to use the entire we shot one deer for this book um or i shot one deer for this book and then we just tried to use every part of the deer for different recipes so um that's kind of how that book was broken down just how to use one entire deer and then fill up a cookbook with it and that's uh the recipe we chose for that but you know cooking you know cooking stocks and things like that it's just the foundation of In my opinion the foundation of um good cooking it's it's a a nice uh roasted stock adds so much umami and so much depth to your soups so doing that process you just get a more well-rounded balanced uh, really flavorful soup
1: absolutely so and the one thing i like that you did with this book and i think you're doing with the new one too is you really start and this is great for people who are new to hunting and fishing which is a lot of people who listen to the Modern Carnivore podcast. And so you go into the hunt itself and and really the butchering and then that leading into into the, the different recipes. So maybe t- talk a little bit about that. Like what, um, what was the thinking behind that?
0: Yeah, so I think for me, you know, when I came back to the Midwest, I had a struggle. I don't know if it was a struggle, but um, it was a challenge to get, back into hunting and fishing, you know, I didn't have a ton of gear. Um, I was trying to learn a bunch of new stuff and, uh, I kind of wanted people to see, uh, step-by-step step how to get into it. If you're not, if you didn't grow up doing it, and if you don't have a bunch of guns that your dad gave you or whoever gave you, um, that there's a, there's a route to do it. And it's, it's really not that difficult. It just takes time and it takes, you know, a lot of patience and it takes a lot of failure. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's kind of worth it. So, when I wrote that book, I had that in mind. Where, you know, you got to start somewhere if you want to get into it, and it's it's something that's uh, valuable in my life, and um, I think can offer a lot of value to to people. So, when we wrote that, that that's kind of the reason we we started from square one, um, and then took people through just step by step. This is how you break down a deer, and then this is how you use each individual muscle. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of the. I forget. That do you
1: go? Do you go into organs?
0: It all in here or not? Uh, I think the only organ we went into was heart, and actually, no. There's a pate recipe for the liver, and then there's a heart recipe, and that's that's as far as we want. Cool, cool.
1: Um, why deer, Why venison, as you as as the focus.
0: That's a good question. I mean, <laughs> it just kind of came about. We we put out, um, you know, when the when the publishing company approached me. We went into 10, 15 different ideas uh, of what the book should be, and then uh, by the end of the day, we just narrowed it down to venison. It's it felt so- like something for me. I've butchered a ton of animals in my life, uh, mainly pigs, uh, but like the for me the butchery section was was a huge part of it, uh, showing people how to do that. I just have a lot of experience there, uh, so that that you know butchering a deer and butchering a pig is pretty similar at the end of the day. So I thought that the, that I had a good opportunity to showcase that, and then uh, venison just tastes good. Um, and I think what you were talking about earlier, too, there's a million ways to cook it poorly, and that's usually how it's done. <laughs> or I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't, I'm, should like, tearing down an entire group of people. That's often how I've there's seen it some done. some reality to I thought, that. <laughs> I thought there was some opportunity to improve um, that process is a good way to put it.
2: I don't think people think outside the box enough. Yeah. you know we were raised on crock pots and cream of mushroom soup and you know you grill it until it's dead uh, you season it with lowry seasoning salt uh, and that's what you do with your wild game yep uh, and I think growing up in that culture everybody just assumes that's what you do yeah, and then it's supposed to taste good because you went out and hunted it and you did all this work for it so then you eat it and you're like yeah it's the best thing ever and then you feed it to my wife who's never been near it before in her life and she's like what is wrong with you this is yeah. terrible
0: but that's where you gotta do things differently try different things that's exactly right and <coughs> there was just that huge opportunity in the Ven- especially with the venison there. so we, we just approached that and that's uh that's how the book came came to be, um, par- partially. You know, it's what I wanted to, but then there's a whole like marketing aspect of things, and it's what a publishing company sees can sell. So the combination of those two things, that's how we ended up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What's your uh, what's your favorite recipe out of, out of the book?
0: Oh, oh, the heart recipe. Yeah, that thing.
1: Uh,
0: heart is one of my favorite muscles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Little fist bump <laughs> of the guys going on here. <laughs> um, and I, I've I've cooked heart. You know, before I would say before I wrote this, years before I wrote this book, I've cooked venison heart, uh, and I cooked it like someone told me you like boil it for like four hours, and then and I tried it. And in, it was in disgusting. Dew. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Um, and then and then in this book we we basically clean it up a little bit, skewer it, and then cook it to medium rare. And you cook heart to medium yeah. rare, and it is just. It's one of the best. I think it's the best tasting part on the deer. I think I think heart and tongue
1: are, are two of the best parts that just get overlooked. And people, I think, have such a, a psychological <laughs> barrier to. And I think if, if, if more people tried it, they'd understand how wonderful it is.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I mean, not to go over it again, but it's probably been cooked so many times poorly for them that they— don't want to give it another chance. Well, there, there was a way you had to do things, uh,
2: and everybody did it that way, and that was the recipe that was passed down. Uh, I grew up in a family that the heart was never even a consideration. Yep. It was left in the field. Left in the, Yeah, uh, Yeah, And, you know, I've told all my friends, you know, save your hearts. If you're not going to eat them, just save them. I'll come get them. Yep. I've had 30 hearts in my damn freezer at points because I just, everybody gives me a heart. So you get to play <laughs> around with them. Yeah, uh, and you do crazy things for fun, and you do weird things for no reason, you know. Salt cure them, dry them, make a, a big out of a heart, uh, and it's delicious. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. No, I think that's. I think that's great.
1: So, talk a little bit about fish. The upcoming book that I'm, I'm not sure. We'll probably when we'll get this podcast out, but I'm going to get it out. Try to time it really well with your launch of it, so when people listen. They can go out and order it. And yeah. the
0: opening
2: of fishing. Yeah, there you go. It's
0: right at, yeah, it's right after the opening of fishing, it comes out. And then uh, if you pre order it, it's actually pre ordering for like I think it's like seventeen bucks. So if you pre order it, you get a discount. Wow. Uh, and that's, that's great. A, that's on Amazon. So is that
1: hardcover or soft cover? Hardcover. Hardcover, And then bucks. as soon as it re-
0: as soon as it releases it'll go up to whatever the cover price is. Yeah. But yeah. um uh, yeah, it, it was a super fun book to to write. Um, so it's similar
1: to the venison book. You did it all around one deer. So this book is all around one fish. Yeah,
0: it's all <laughs> <laughs> it's all around <laughs> frying walleyes. That's it. Um, Six hundred ways of fly, <laughs> frying a walleye. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was a fun book to write. We got to do a little bit of traveling. You know, for the venison book, there wasn't a lot of travel involved fish book we got to do a few fishing trips uh i got to learn a lot about different fishing techniques so that was like a fun aspect of it um okay and then, so stop right there because that
1: was going to be one of my questions what's your favorite technique of fishing oh i mean i'm a musky fisherman that's yeah. <laughs> that's what i like to do uh and so so top water fly are you doing big bucktails are you throwing out plugs like what do you Uh, like rubbers rubbers and bucktails okay and sometimes a topwater mix okay okay um
0: but so we did like but so my my core friend group they just got attached to musky fishing a while ago we used to like to fish for like you know walleyes panfish all that stuff but then musky fishing just took over um and then it naturally took over with me too as it does with a lot of people uh so it was a fun experience to go out and do like fish for Lakers or go steal that fishing or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so that that was one aspect of the book that was kind of fun and I think, you know, this book, I got to use a lot more vegetables and a lot more different, or a lot of different techniques that I didn't necessarily use in the venison book. I'd say there's some recipes that are a little more elevated. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say fine dining, but like leaning that direction rather than leaning towards uh, kind of the more simplistic venison approach we took to the venison book so that was kind of fun to do uh the food's just a lot more colorful it's a lot brighter um as you might imagine a fish book might be you know you're using a lighter leaner protein so your flavors will naturally kind of end up that way um, all fresh water right yeah there i mean we have yep it's all fresh water and then <coughs> there's some crayfish recipes uh and then we narrowed it down i think i'm gonna say it wrong but we have salmon trout Uh, walleye, northerns, bluegill, perch, crappies, whitefish, crawdads, muskie, and catfish. Those are the 10 we ended up going with. And the way we laid it out, which is a little confusing, I'm still a little confused by it, but I couldn't figure out a better way to do it. We have, uh, we grouped it into a salmon and trout recipe. So basically, if you have salmon or trout, we think, you know, those were close enough flavor profiles that the recipes match well together then we have northerns and walleyes mm-hmm. and kind of the same deal like mm-hmm. those you could kind of use those fish uh swap them all for each other it doesn't matter and then there's like a perch crappie bluegill section with that same idea and then the last section was the whitefish crawdads muskie, and catfish catch all yeah yeah and, but you don't swap the sky you don't yeah, swap yeah. crawfish <laughs> for muskie. it's not right um and then there's also in the book which was kind of fun there's a couple uh, people who from around town who joined in and gave recipes so Jack Rebel uh, from the Lexington came over did his walleye sausage which have you guys had the walleye no. sausage? Awesome. It's incredible walleye sausage it's better than I mean it's better than a lobster roll the thing is so crazy. he
2: did uh, catfish uh, catfish sausage uh, at the butcher in the borough when he was there and that was phenomenal yeah uh, sort of a boudon uh, catfish boudan, I guess it
0: was. It's probably uh, a similar, I mean, it's probably super similar. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah no, it was that's phenomenal. Crazy. That's crazy, yeah.
2: that just sounds really good.
0: <clears throat> it, I mean, texturally it's awesome, and just the flavors are so light, and like the sausage just kind of like falls, I mean, it, it's just like a really light, airy, perfect tasting piece of fish. Um, so that was a fun recipe to see, then I have a, you know, a friend, Eric Sather, over at Lower Hill Meats, he came to do a recipe. Yia Vang uh, did one. And I know I'm missing someone and they're going to be mad, but, um, it was fun just to bring those guys in and see what they wanted to do for recipes and then, you know, have my own twist to it too. So that's kind of the book in a nutshell. So, um, what have you got? So I'm going to be heading
1: to Woodland Caribou in Canada, a a provincial park up there, similar to Boundary Waters type place, canoe only type of, uh, park area here in a few weeks. Um... And we're gonna be going for lake lake trout. And so let's talk a little bit about that in terms of you know, as opposed to the pike walleye grouping, the panfish grouping and and the other. Like to me I, I think that's great in terms of the trout salmon, obviously it's that makes sense in terms of that, that type of fish. So what what do you like to do in terms of, of cooking prep for those? Uh, for those fish and do you have a favorite recipe out of of the book
0: Um, do you mean for lake for
1: for your trout salmon (coughs) category if you will and it could be lake trout specifically if you want to I mean
0: I think I think the first recipe oh that's not the book that's a venison I got it on here Um, I think the first recipe we did for the entire book was one of my favorites and we did a, a wild rice stuffed whole lake trout so you cook wild rice separately take a lake trout uh, stuff it, you know, with the wild rice, wrap it in twine, bake it off, um, and then once it's done, you pull, you know, you pull the wild rice out of the center of the out of the trout, plate it with a little bit of flaked um, trout, and then we did like an asparagus salad and a really light, bright beurre blanc on top of it, and it was like this. Just you know, I mean, that's a that's a heavy prep one. There's yeah. a lot of ingredients that go into that, but that's just like it was like a perfect way to. I don't know just use use that fish in a different way and um yeah
1: i've done something similar to that before with big trout and and i love it in terms of i've grilled with with stuffed them with wild rice and 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 done a twiner yep. on it i just love it in, in terms of presentation and, and, and everything and, and just showing people it isn't just again back to that back to that aspect of just deep fried uh, you know, filet that uh, that you've gotten on on uh, on, on shore lunch or, or wherever. Yeah. It's
2: Not to say there's anything wrong with deep frying. Absolutely, uh, <laughs> I ate it a but lot. E- even <laughs> even in the deep fried category, there are different ways of doing that. You know, if you take your wild rice and you pop it, and then mortar and pestle it into a flour, and yeah. dust your fish with a wild rice breading instead. Ooh, I like uh, that sounds
1: to that. I've never done that. Understand. Yeah, there we go.
2: Alright. <laughs> No. Um, so, I mean, there's just so many possibilities, but I think we've all gotten stuck because grandma only used to make, you know, saltine crackers, egg wash flour, yep. uh, and Hellman's starter sauce. Uh, you bring anything other than Hellman's, leave. Okay. <laughs> it's a sin. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but no, it's, it's just once you get outside of that, it's so many things are delicious, but you got to be willing to try. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And, yep. and on the whole fi- like, just doing the whole fish thing, you mentioned the presentation. It is a stunning presentation. You get to see this beautiful fish, but it's also just, uh, it's easier to do because you don't have to, like, break the fish down into little sections, you, and you just stick a whole fish in the oven that's stuffed with wild rice. It's really a simple, you know, if you take out the beurre blanc, it's really a simple thing to create. You know, sounds it sounds
2: like something you could do in the boundary waters. Yeah. You know, easy enough. It might, you know, take a little bit of time, but... You, you know, know, you bring up a really good point. I think I'm gonna bring some wild rice along up to Canada. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna
1: I'm gonna try try that exactly. I'm, and I mean I'm, a Burblon wouldn't
2: yeah. be too difficult to do over a campfire, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know if I'm that skill. <laughs> Just dip it in butter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Squeeze a lemon and drench it in butter. Yeah. You're good to go.
1: You know, it's that is the one thing that I do like about about trout in terms of when I was a kid, you know, we would we had uh, a small stream near a town where i grew up and and we would go with my dad and we we we'd dunk crawlers in there and with big long you know uh, telescoping rods we weren't fly fishing that much just cuz he knew that as kids it, it was it was too much um, but we'd catch these these small small little rainbows and little brookies and and the aspect of just having that presented on the plate as the whole fish rather than this this you know, again, breaded item. Must well, That changed things. Something turned off. That's <laughs> much quieter now. Um, it 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 just I think it it um, it just connects you that much more to the experience of fishing, and uh, you can go all in on it if you if you fry them up. You know, we would fry them up on, in the pan with just a light light coating of flour and mm-hmm. eat the tails, eat the head eat it all yeah you know and it's uh
0: it's great it's it's just uh you know i think there's something to be said that uh just with keeping flavor intact too when you cook a whole fish or any anything like the less you do to it the more flavor you're going to ultimately get out of it that's kind of it's something i've always thought and i've always tried to play off of but uh yeah there's just something to cooking whole animals um rather than trying to dice them up and make them look like something they're not
2: why would it be any different than a deer you know leave the bones in you're going to get more Definitely. flavor well so. and i think
1: there's an aspect of you know i think i've talked about this with both you guys over the years of there's there's an aspect of of familiarity that's good for introducing people to uh to wild game however i i do think um you know there're we need to be adventurous and and try new things and I know Jamie, you've got some thoughts on that relative to you know um, putting some recipes out there and I think a lot of times people get caught in the tradition of well that's the way we always cook it um, and and I think I think one of the things that's important and and I think is fun is is trying something new and I, and I for one am am a person where, it takes time. Like I, I want to do it right, and and I have to think about it. And and I oftentimes find myself just going to the standby. You know, I've oh I've always I've always prepared it that way, so it's easy to do. If I pull out some venison chops, or I'm going to pull out some trout or what, or what have you. But I think it's it's good to challenge yourself and try something try something new and have some fun with it. And that's where I think your your books. Are really great in terms of like I said with that split pea uh, neck venison neck roast, that was a great one where I'm like, okay, I've never made this before, but I'm gonna, you know, I want I want to try something a little different.
0: Yeah, and the book I'd say the venison books especially, or I'd say both books, they're not when I when I was writing them, I didn't intend them to be like a, like a exact guide to cooking. They're they're just supposed to be kind of a like get you pointed in the right direction, and then use the technique, use some of the flavors, put in something else you might like. And kind of run with it because, you know, experimenting in the kitchen is yeah. is half the fun of it, and you'll probably come up with something better than I did. So
1: this- I, I know I've done I know I've done that before with some of your recipes in there, and that's and that's generally something I do, which is so funny because my wife, she is a recipe follower. <clears throat> if it says one and a half teaspoons, it is one and a half teaspoons. <laughs> And it's if that is at this step in the process, and I'll just sort of you know, just a little free form, just go with this. Yeah. I don't have that. Let's try something a little different. And um, yeah, it's obviously just two different ways of looking at it. But that's that's the way I'm able to to um, find it find it approachable and and with the ingredients I got in the kitchen. And I think that's great, like you said to give people the the, the, uh, the bandwidth and the authority, if you will, to say, hey, if you don't have that cut, try a different cut. Yep. If you don't have that ingredient, try a different ingredient. Experiment. Try something Try something new.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, hopefully I give people the, the tools in both these books to just have a jumping-off point and then let them dig in themselves. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely.
1: Let's go a different path for a second um, and talk about um, quality meats from a butcher shop. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit ago I know your buddy Eric has got Lowry Hill meats. Um I love going into some of these new butcher shops that are like old traditional butcher shops in terms of what they're doing. So talk a little bit about that and what what your thoughts are on that and what they're doing up there, I guess.
0: Yeah, Lowry Hill, I mean it's a great it's a great spot. They do uh I mean they go through I think it's like one or two cows a week and probably six, seven hogs and they do their own lamb and all that stuff. But it's pretty fun because you walk into the shop like that and instead of having this like expectation of I'm going to get four pounds of tenderloin so I can roast tenderloin. You go into the butcher shop, see what they took out of an animal that week, see what's left in the case. And it might not be a cut you've ever seen or ever heard of. Uh, but then you have Eric there or any of other butchers who are all great resource points and they can point you in a direction with that cut of meat. Um, to do a new recipe that you might not have been expecting to uh, when you walked into the shop. Um, So it's pretty cool from that standpoint. And just watching those guys, like, saw through entire entire animals every single week, it's it's pretty cool. Not a lot of people do that anymore. You know, a lot of things come vacuum sealed, you know, in little pre-portioned pieces, and you miss out on a lot of the good, good chunks that way. Are they are they sourcing
1: at specific places, or are they like you know, local and or grass fed and or all of those things you know that are discussed a lot?
0: Yeah, so they do. I know they do. uh, They get these really great hogs from Pork and Plants in Southern Minnesota. Um, They do a couple different hogs. So Pork and Plants hogs are red wattle hogs. They just have these humongous fat caps on them. I mean, just giant. So if you're into that. You might get a red wattle hog, but then I know they get some leaner hogs from other places. And if you're into that, then you have, like, you know, a different type of hog to choose from. And then I know their beef, you know, I don't know if they're 100% grass-fed, but they do grass-fed and probably corn-finished sort of thing. And it's all um Midwestern-raised. So you know you're going in there, you're getting a nice cut of meat cut by a guy probably that morning. And, um yeah, great spot. And they have really good sandwiches too, which they just turn all their meat that they butcher into sandwiches. So whatever you get in there, you're, you're doing something right. Awesome. So uh, you guys got any cool trips coming up?
1: Uh, anything or it doesn't have to be cool. Anything you're, you're interested in? <clears> or or are we about? off fish
2: or uh, can I go back? Because I got questions. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go back to fish, man. Go back to fish. So you mentioned muskie. Yeah. Uh, and not a common fish to eat. No, uh, I don't know anybody who has. Okay, uh, I've never eaten a muskie. I've never, well, I caught one, uh, but it was tiny. I've never caught. Yeah, no, it was like twelve pounds, and I was Lindy rig fishing off the end of a dock. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you're not, uh, intending a not intending to catch a muskie. I was <laughs> not intending to catch a muskie.
0: So, uh, how, what would you do with a muskie? So, so I think there's a little more to talk over on that. So, in Minnesota, where we are right now. Um, I think the I think the size limit is like I think it's like 54 inches to keep a muskie here. I, I don't know the number. Depending we, on what kind, uh,
2: the tiger yeah, remember, muskies yes, it's yeah, 40.
0: Yeah. Certain lakes it's 48. Yeah, 54
2: yeah. in the north, yeah. yeah. It,
0: it's something like that. It's a little more extreme in Minnesota. We don't fish to keep anything. We don't fish to keep muskies in the yeah, first place. Right. Um, but particularly not in Minnesota. Uh, we do most of our fishing in northern Wisconsin muskie fishing where where I have a cabin and I have a few friends who have cabins um and I've only kept three muskies in my life uh and it was the first two were they were gonna die um so I mean it was just kind of the responsible thing we we typically don't go out to keep a muskie the muskie we actually caught for this book um was uh 41 inches and in Wisconsin you keep anything over 40 Um, And it also looked like it had a broken spine. That at some point it had broken its spine and healed. And it healed. And it also looked like it had just gotten attacked. Like if you, there's a picture of the muskie in the book, but you can see it, and it looks like it's seen better days. So we brought in a 41, 42 inch muskie that looked like it'd seen better days, and it was like the perfect fish to keep for the book. Um, But it's not a regular. It's just not a regular thing. I told one guy over at the fish guys that I kept a muskie and. Put it in a cookbook, and <laughs> he got a little upset. <laughs> I thought he, was, thought he was gonna cry. Um, uh, he didn't like that at all. Uh, but then, so in the book, I think we did three recipes for it. We did a pickled pickled musky, um, we did musky nuggets, which were my favorite. We basically just took musky, dusted them in a rub, and then cooked it over an open fire, and then poured like an herb sauce over it, and they were delicious. And then, oh, we did a musky and mussel stew, which Was really good, too. Um, But musky, it's a little bit, uh, if you cook it way too far, it gets really, like, kind of mushy. And it just kind of, it's kind of dry in your mouth. But if you cook it just right, it it has a ton of texture, it has a ton of flavor. Pretty similar Um, to Northern Pike? Yeah, but a little more down the spectrum um, in in just the general qualities. Um, But, again, you know, I've only cooked three of them in my life. Yeah, Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't have a huge sample size uh, to pick from. But in northern Wisconsin, there's people who, who at least in where, I'm, where my cottage is, there's people who catch them and keep them all the time, and they swear by them. Um, you'll see a lot of people smoke them up there. So
2: after muskie then, because this year I'm dedicating a lot of time to catching a muskie. Okay. I've mm-hmm. decided I need to. After muskie. Um, big decision. Oh, I know. Because it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Your life is over. You yeah, know. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Uh,
2: and I've decided to do it on a fly, so on, it's right. going to be even <laughs> yeah. a little bit more difficult. So, so it's <laughs> called the fish of
1: a thousand casts, but but, but yeah, uh, no. when, 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 you, when yeah. you're doing a fly, I don't even know what number you'd
2: have to go up to. I don't know. Time's about time. Yeah, I'm yeah for right, sure. exactly. Right, right. <laughs> um, in Minnesota, uh, the northern pike is my favorite fish. Uh, I'm almost anti-walleye. Uh, just because, Uh, but the Northern Pike is my favorite. How are you preparing Northern Pike and what is your favorite way?
0: Yeah, uh, I love Pike too. It's a good, clean-tasting fish that I just think, uh, when we were growing up, we didn't keep them, my dad didn't keep them, or I didn't keep them either, I guess, I think just because they were hard to clean and no one really knew how to clean them. (laughs) Um, I finally learned how to clean them when my, the lake that our cabin was on got pretty... Uh, the northern population just took off. Um, so we were starting to catch northerns left and right. A little hammer and,
1: handles all over. Yeah, yeah all over yeah. the place.
0: Uh, so we, so I just learned how to fillet them. And now I have an easier time flaying a northern than I do yeah. anything else. Are you y-boning them That's or the yeah.
2: five-fillet technique? Five-fillet
0: five technique, which okay. is what we call it in the book. Yeah. Um, and it's it's super simple. Yeah, it is. Simple, it's yeah. so, so easy. Yeah. Um and then, yeah, so I'm trying to think through recipes that were in the book. I should open it up, but, you know, like a classic kind of French um, way I learned how to cook pike, or we we would use walleye in New York, but it, it was basically making like, it's called a quenelle, mm-hmm. uh, which is a fancy way to say a really tasty meatball. Uh, but you basically blend it mm. with some eggs and some other stuff, like some cream and Wow. I'd had to look at the recipe, and then you uh, shape them in spoons. It, it forms like a, almost like a sausage consistency. You shape them, you shape little quenelles or little meatballs in spoons, and then you dip it in uh, boiling salted water to cook. And you ended up with that just that light fish meatball. And then we took those quenelles, and in the book we put them into like a a watercress soup, so a springtime watercress mm-hmm. soup. Um, and you just get this really bright kind of peppery watercress soup matched up against this light airy fish flavor and then there's a squeeze of lime on it some fresh herbs and it, it, that, that's probably my favorite um okay. northern so I've, I've done good. the
2: quenelles uh and then served it in a crawfish bisque I, exactly yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's, that's another way
0: to do it yeah <laughs>
2: I've that's never probably the more traditional way to yeah. do it <laughs>
1: I've never done any of those, and that sounds good. I'm definitely doing it yeah. this summer. That it's so easy great. to do, too.
2: So yeah. with the five-filet technique where you cut down, take the back off, mm-hmm. uh, and then you bring out that little strip in the middle, uh, I don't know that you call them tenderloins, but that's kind of what they are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you end up with these little strips, but, you know, however long big your fish is. Uh Magnus Nilsson, a chef out of Sweden, Mm -hmm. uh, does a thing with king crab and almost burnt cream, uh, where he then just, in a dry pan, sears them, uh, sprays them with a little wood vinegar, and then serves it with the almost burnt cream. So I've done that with the pike loins there. And it tastes, I know it's a ridiculous statement, but. Poor man's lobster. It oh, 100% <laughs> believe it, yeah. And, and I mean, the poor man's lobster thing is sort of a, a, a I don't know what you'd call it, obsession of mine. Uh, I've heard so many people tell me about some ridiculous method of cooking something that tastes just like lobster. So I've been working my way through all of them. <laughs> you know, uh, I work at the VA uh, as a nurse, took care of an old man who was telling me, you take your pike fillets and soak them in white vinegar for 24 hours, and then boil them in Sprite and serve them with drawn butter, uh, and it tastes just like lobster. Is that
0: Just a second. Is that, is that a real
2: thing? That's what he said. Yes. Well, uh, that's something he says you have to do. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to try that. And I went home, and I took two pike fillets, and I soaked them for 24 hours in vinegar, and then I boiled them in 7-Up, and served them with butter uh problem is i couldn't get them out of the pan because i didn't have a strainer that would strain it out it just turned to mush yeah it was just like this liquid fish <laughs> so that wasn't the technique <laughs> but is Literally that what no. you're saying <laughs> well come on corn <laughs> corn syrup sweetened pop that's yes. the best ingredient but that, that's not even like the most ridiculous thing i've heard you know, the the people that take sheep's head and boil them in Mountain Dew and serve them with butter. Uh, and, I mean, pick a fish. There's somebody out there who says it tastes just like lobster. Uh, and, you know, here in Minnesota, we've got our
0: eel pout yeah. uh, that everybody claims tastes just like lobster. Yep. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't, I haven't eaten eel pout yet, but, you know, that's getting a lot of attention recently. And it is. Uh, I just read an article about them wanting to
2: transfer it from... Uh, Trash fish uh, to a sport fish uh, and putting a limit on them and making it harder for people to keep them. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because they are. They're a delicious fish. Uh, I've had zero problems eating them in the past. I had this (laughs)
1: idea for a a fishing show a few years ago. We trotted it out to a few different places called junk fish. And basically, we'd take a couple of guys that we had where we'd just go around the world and whatever culture called their trash fish or their junk fish we just go out and fish them cook them see, up i, I see already see them. a problem hey, exactly. with
2: your show yeah you go everywhere else in the world there's no such thing as junk fish
1: <laughs> there's just no, fish. is <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: we're the only ones that really like oh i would never eat that uh yeah the carp is the most eaten fish in the world you guys ever eaten escalar Yes. Yeah. I have oh it's a good it's fish it's a phenomenal fish <laughs> i don't know where so, it oh
1: it's so good it's so good but it is be careful if you have the certain gene it's not going to agree with you and you're going to be running to the bathroom well it's got it has a super high fat content oh, it's and, like crazy how yeah. high that fat it tastes like it's it tastes right out of the fish eat it sushi style nigiri it, it it tastes like it's 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 in drawn butter. Yeah. practically, it's amazing. It's delicious. Yeah,
0: I think there's like a I think when I I used to eat a lot more than I do right now. Eat a lot of barbecue right now, <laughs> uh, but there's like a six ounce maximum you're supposed to have. If you eat more than six ounces, you're just you're setting yourself up for failure, <laughs> uh, kind of thing. Uh, to all the listeners out there, so that's a that's my <laughs> word Be of warning. Be careful.
1: <laughs> okay, so back to my question. Um, I had mentioned, um, you know, in about, I think, where are we at here, early April, so in about six, eight weeks' time, uh, I'll be up in uh, Woodland Caribou going after lake trout, maybe some walleyes, um, into this region I've never been before. My brother and my nephew um, have gone to this place, uh, this, this area of Canada, uh, several times. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you guys have any hunting trips planned for next this
0: coming fall? You have anything f- planned for a fishing trip this this summer? Uh, you know, my focus is mainly on the business right now. So yeah, uh, the only thing I really won't miss is turkey season. That's my favorite my favorite season. So uh turkey season's a couple weeks away, and that's you know we'll go to turkey camp for four or five days, and that'll be it for me. I think I'd like to do my September. Uh, my I have an uncle who lives in Alaska. And he, we go, we try to go moose hunting annually. Uh, just don't know if that's going to happen this year. So, how about you?
2: The end of the month, I've got six days. Uh, we're going down southeast Minnesota trout fishing, and depending on the level of the water over on the Mississippi, we're going to swing back try to do some catfish over there. Oh, nice! And then June, we're going up the north shore, so we'll do some fishing. We've got turkey season coming foraging is coming oh yeah foraging Uh, season i got mushrooms that i gotta go get ramps all over nettles i i love nettles yeah uh i'll pick tons of them and then just puree it all and freeze it in ice cube trays yep so that i can make pastas all throughout (laughs) the year with my nettles
0: easy to find too (laughs) yeah they're not a hard one (laughs) to for and
2: and you know if you knock on a farmer's door and you tell them hey i'd like to pick all those nettles over there you're
0: like (laughs) yeah (laughs) have at it you might get a place to hunt in Exactly. fall, too. Yeah.
2: I think the first statement they say is, what's wrong with you? Exactly. <laughs> you know, everybody wants to know what's wrong. You can't eat those. They're, they're, that's bad. No, it's not. Uh, uh, this fall, I've got a week uh, in the Boundary Waters again, uh, deer hunting. But that might change depending on whether or not I get drawn for a bear license this year, and then I'll be bear hunting instead. But... <laughs> You got, a bad, you, got,
0: you got bad problem or good problems to have. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds like a
2: very good problem. You got a lot of trips coming up. That's, yep. that's good. Yep. And then November, I've got a week. I'm still not sure what I want to do yet. Uh, I'm tossing around the idea of trying to put together an archery hunt and pheasant hunt in South Dakota. Uh, or I might just go back up north, walk trails all day for grouse and sit in a stand at night. And
0: Sounds like heaven. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. <laughs>
2: Okay, so you got another trip in November? November, it depends. I might go to South Dakota, try to do a pheasant archery deer. Uh, Otherwise, I'll go up north and do the grouse and deer. So, assuming I don't get a deer before then.
1: So, you're going to go after pheasants uh, with your bow. Is that what you said in South Dakota? (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. Yeah.
2: There might be a trip to uh, Arizona as well uh, in September. Uh, for doves. so I have never <coughs> gone dove hunting. Have you me? ever gone dove hunting? No, and I'd love to. That's uh, one I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Well, let me know. My Absolutely. dad lives in Yuma, Arizona, which is like the dove hunting capital of the world. Sweet. <laughs> so he's been trying to get me down there for years, uh, and it's now time I need to go down there. So. Well, I think a trip needs to be planned. Yep. And then mom just bought six acres over in Tucson, and she's got javelina all over the place. So... There you go. There you go. i got to live your life. Yeah, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Jeez. Do a swap for a week and Uh see see
0: how it goes. Yeah, his
2: his business will go bankrupt and he'll never come back.
0: (laughs) I don't think I could handle working in a hospital either. I don't think I could do a day.
2: If I told you what I did, yeah, you wouldn't like it.
0: Yeah, my girlfriend brings home stories and it's... It's uh, it's tough work. I yep. can't. I can't yeah. believe the things that I she I does on do a daily either. basis. It's nuts. I couldn't do it either. No,
1: it would be tough. Fortunately, we got you guys. Yep. yep. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate you guys taking some time to sit down and, and uh, awesome that Matt Casey and the rest of the crew here let us uh, let us sit in the brewery here and the, the the day they're closed and um, check out John Whipflee's fish. Cookbook coming out on May
0: fifteenth. Apparently May fourteenth. Yeah, we just we <laughs> just found 14th? out. April fourteenth, right? So it'll be out one day.
1: <laughs> it'll be out soon. sooner than later. But check it out, and if you are in the Twin Cities, come on over and check out his food truck and his barbecue. Got anything uh, interesting coming up this summer? You're just going to be throwing out the meat. Yeah, as, as just, much as he can.
0: Slinging a bunch of meat is what we call it. But uh, we're going to be doing, we do daily or not. We kind of do weekly or monthly specials. We're going to start doing uh, beef cheeks this week, which I'm excited about. Um, And we do, we mix it up too. But we we don't do, we don't have like pork shoulder. We do like pork belly instead of pork shoulder. Our ribs are a big focus. We have a really good sausage that Lowry Hill Meats makes for us, our recipe. And then we try and use the farmer's market. Uh, when farmer's market season comes around to do all the sides and stuff like that. So there's always something new rolling out of the trailer. Um, Yeah, that's kind of it. Awesome. Well, check
1: it out, and uh, thanks a lot, you guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, everyone, that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with John Whitfley and Jamie Carlson. If you get a chance, check out the recipes for nettle pasta and venison heart tartare that Jamie has posted recently at modcarn.com, as well as John Whitfley's fish cookbook. It can be found at amazon.com. It's probably the easiest way to check it out and I guarantee you won't be uh, dissatisfied and you'll really probably find some fun new ways to prepare fish. Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com.